Hello, and welcome to the All Purpose NFL Podcast. I'm your host, AP, and in this episode, I'll talk about the Chiefs' first loss of the season, Dak Prescott's devastating injury, and a new team in my top 10 power rankings. But first... Highlights, analysis, and a few hard hits. This is the Game Day Blitz. The Raiders beat the Chiefs 40-32 in what I felt was the biggest upset of the season. Coming into this game, Patrick Mahomes had never lost to the Raiders. The Chiefs were on a 13-game win streak dating back to last year and had won 40-9 in their last meeting. The Raiders were coming off a second consecutive loss and looked to be in for a three-game losing streak. That is not what happened. The Raiders got on the board first with a field goal before Patrick Mahomes drove the Chiefs down the field and scored on a three-yard rushing touchdown. The following drive, Derek Carr threw his first interception of the season, which led to a scoring frenzy by both teams. Five of the next six drives all ended in touchdowns. Carr connected with Nelson Aguilar for a 59-yard touchdown, as well as a 72-yard bomb to Henry Ruggs to take the lead late in the first half. The Chiefs were able to tie the game with a field goal before the end of the half. Despite the scoring barrage of the first half, neither team scored until the Raiders broke the tie early in the fourth quarter. Thanks to a field goal, the Raiders were able to make it a nine-point game before Patrick Mahomes threw his first interception of the year. The Raiders made it a 16-point lead after scoring again quickly after the interception. With five minutes left on the clock, the game looked over. Until Patrick Mahomes drove the Chiefs down the field in less than 90 seconds for a touchdown and two-point conversion that made it a one-possession game. The Chiefs were able to get the Raiders into a fourth-and-one situation at the two-minute warning, but John Gruden was aggressive in his play calling and let Derek Carr QB sneak for the first down, which meant the end of the game as the Chiefs were out of timeouts at this point. This game proved what I've said all season about Kansas City's defense. They are built to bend but not break, and this time they broke. Kansas City gave up two long touchdown plays to Ruggs and Aguilar, but also early in the fourth quarter on a third and 18, Hunter Renfro was wide open in the middle of the field and caught a ball for 42 yards. Derek Carr was 22 of 31 and had 347 yards and three touchdowns, and Josh Jacobs had 73 yards on the ground and two touchdowns. Kansas City's defense, which had not given up more than 20 points in a game this season, fell hard to the Raiders' offense that looked extremely high-powered. But the offense of the Raiders was not the only win for the day. Their defense played amazing coverage throughout the game and gave Patrick Mahomes fits as he tried to maneuver in the pocket and allow his receivers to get open. Not to mention the amount of pressure that the Raiders were able to create. Mahomes looked like he was running for his life almost all game. Also, despite a 200-plus yard first half, the Raiders' defense held Mahomes to 25 yards in the second half before that final Chiefs touchdown drive. Speaking of Mahomes, despite running for his life, he continued to amaze with his abilities. On multiple occasions, he made plays after having created time by running and evading defenders to finally allow one of his receivers to get open. The best example of this was when he avoided pressure, escaped the pocket, and then threw the ball across his body while turning the opposite direction to perfectly find Travis Kelsey coming across the field. Despite the loss, the Chiefs are still poised to be the class of the AFC as it took a 40-point performance to beat them, which isn't likely to happen on most Sundays. The Chiefs will look to get back to winning as they face off against the Bills on next Monday. The Raiders have a bye this week.
The Steelers won a shootout with the Eagles 38-29. After notching their first win of the season, the Eagles wanted to continue their trend as they went to Pittsburgh to play the Steelers. Neither team started off well as both teams punted on their first drive. This was par for the course for the Steelers, who continued a 22-game streak of failing to score a touchdown on their opening drive. The Steelers were the first to get on the board, though, on a two-yard rushing touchdown by rookie Chase Claypool, who would continue to be a major part of the Steelers' offense on that day. On the next drive, Miles Sanders burst through on a 75-yard touchdown run to tie the game. Claypool earned his second touchdown on the ensuing drive thanks to a 32-yard pass from Ben Roethlisberger. The Eagles responded with a 10-play, 76-yard touchdown drive. The Steelers kicked a field goal to go into halftime up 17-14. The Steelers came out of halftime hot, and Claypool scored again. Carson Wentz's interception on the next drive led to a James Conner touchdown that made the score 31-14 and looked to be out of reach. That wasn't the case, as the Eagles scored on back-to-back drives to make the score 29-31. The Steelers tried to go to Claypool again, and he looked to score a fourth touchdown, but it was called back on a poor offensive pass interference call. On the following play, Eric Ebron fumbled to give the Eagles back the ball in great position to take the lead. This was not to be as Jake Elliott missed a field goal on the drive, and the Steelers got the ball back. And who else would they go to in this game but Chase Claypool, who got his fourth touchdown of the game on a 35-yard pass to seal the win? I think the biggest takeaway from this game was Chase Claypool showing that he has star potential. This was evident in the four touchdowns, but also in the bad offensive pass interference call that would have resulted in another touchdown. Big Ben's willingness to continue to utilize the young receiver, throwing it his way 11 times for seven receptions. And Darius Slay, the number one corner for the Eagles, spending most of his time covering a rookie wide receiver opposite the team's actual number one in Juju Smith-Schuster. The Eagles had flashes of good things, but overall, it was another subpar performance for Carson Wentz, who is on pace to have 28 interceptions this season. The brightest spot for the Eagles, though, was wide receiver Travis Fulgham, who had 10 receptions for 152 yards and a touchdown. And it was very clear that the Steelers didn't think much of him because he was hardly covered throughout the game. Despite moving around a lot through the course of his career so far, he seems to have meshed really well with Carson Wentz and will be a very complimentary piece when the team is fully healthy. The Steelers go on to face the Browns this Sunday while the Eagles welcome the Ravens to town. The Seahawks won against the Vikings this week. The Vikings came out strong in this game, scoring a touchdown on their first drive before holding the Seahawks to a punt on the ensuing drive. The Vikings then held onto the ball for 10 minutes and scored a field goal to make it a 10-point lead. Seattle's offense could not figure out how to move the ball as they punted on all of their first half drives, and Russell Wilson was sacked four times. The Vikings scored another field goal before the half to take a 13-0 lead into the break. During the first Vikings possession of the second half, running back Dalvin Cook suffered an injury and was soon ruled out for the game. After a Vikings punt, Seattle got the ball back and was able to drive the ball down the field and scored a touchdown to close the gap. On the ensuing drive, Kirk Cousins fumbled the ball and Seattle capitalized again to take the lead on a DK Metcalf touchdown. The Vikings got the ball back ready to try and retake the lead. And KJ Wright didn't think that was a good idea as he picked off Kirk Cousins with an amazing one-handed grab. Seattle again took advantage of a short field as Chris Carson scored a 29-yard touchdown on the very next play. The Seahawks went from down 13 to up by 8 
in about a two-minute span. The Vikings responded with an 11-play, 77-yard drive, capped off by an Adam Thielen touchdown. Seattle punted on their next drive, and Minnesota took the ball 95 yards this time to score again and reclaim the lead. Russell Wilson was picked off on the next drive, and the Vikings got the ball back with six minutes left. The Vikings drove the ball down to the Seattle six-yard line and then chose to go for it on fourth down instead of kicking the field goal and gave the Seahawks the ball back with under two minutes to go on their own six-yard line. This should have resulted in a loss. It's not what happened. Because Russell Wilson hit the field and he drove that team all the way down. 94 yard to score a game-clinching touchdown to DK Metcalf with 15 seconds left. Russell Wilson's performance in this game cemented his case for MVP this year. Although he went 20 of 32, eight of those incompletions came on the final drive as he was highly efficient throughout the majority of the game. He also threw three touchdowns to bring his team back from what looked to be an insurmountable lead in the second half. DK Metcalf? continues to work his way to being an elite receiver and has emerged as the number one receiver on this team despite his youth. The Vikings continue to look like a team struggling to succeed this season. Despite having the lead twice, they could not hold on to it and the poor decision of going for it when a field goal was right in front of them cost them the game. Kirk Cousins continues to be a stat compiler that looks good on paper but does not have success when it matters and the injury to Dalvin Cook could prove to be an even bigger problem for this team moving forward. The Seahawks are on a bye this week while the Vikings face the 0-5 Falcons. The Saints completed a second-half comeback to defeat the Chargers 30-27. The Chargers started this game 3-and-out, but were able to stop the Saints from putting points on the board first before scoring the first touchdown of the game on a 17-yard pass from rookie Justin Herbert to his favorite target, Keenan Allen. Allen will leave the game early with an injury. The Saints got a field goal two drives later, and the Chargers responded with another touchdown from Herbert to go up 13-3. Drew Brees would later throw an interception that would lead to another touchdown for Herbert. The Saints would drive down the field and score a touchdown thanks to a rare QB sneak by Drew Brees right before the half to make the score 20-10. The Chargers' offense stalled in the beginning of the second half as they punted on their first three drives, which allowed the Saints to get back into the game, tying it at 20 thanks to a 53-yard field goal by Will Lutz and a 41-yard touchdown reception from Jared Cook. The teams traded punts before the Chargers were able to score again on a 68-yard bomb, like absolute bomb from Justin Herbert to a wide-open Mike Williams. The Saints responded with a 73-yard drive capped off with a 9-yard rushing touchdown by quarterback, tight end, Running back, special teams, I really don't know what to call him, Taysom Hill. With the game tied at 27, Justin Herbert led a 48-yard drive that should have ended the game with a field goal. But it didn't because kicker Michael Badgley doinked the game-winning field goal off the upright and so to overtime they went. The Saints were able to get a field goal to go up 30-27 and then stop the Chargers short on fourth down to win the game. Justin Herbert continues to look amazing and possibly should have been the first quarterback taken in this year's draft. He still makes a few rookie mistakes, but in three games against Mahomes, Brady, 
and Breeze, he has looked poised and cool under pressure. The moments don't seem to overwhelm him. Keenan Allen going down will be a big issue because he's Herbert's favorite target, but his development should continue with the other pieces they have on this team. The key thing, I think, is if Herbert can keep playing at this level, he may be able to help this team get past their habit of losing close games. On the other side of things, Breeze and the Saints didn't look great in the game, and the offense still seems stuck in neutral without starting wide receiver Michael Thomas, who was suspended this game for an altercation with a teammate. He punched somebody in the face. Breeze also still seems hesitant to push the ball downfield, and it's becoming easier for opposing defenses to handle. The Saints defense is a weird case this year. They seem to have all the right pieces to stop people, but they consistently have given up big plays and fall behind early. This will be something I'm sure the Saints will work on during this bye week. The Chargers will also look to correct some of their issues as they're on a bye as well. Now, let's look at the rest of the games from this week. The Buccaneers fell to the Bears 19-20 in Thursday night's Super Bowl rematch for Nick Foles and Tom Brady. Tom Brady's mental lapse on fourth down at the end of the game will leave a lasting memory for all his doubters as he loses his second ever matchup with Foles. Moving on to Sunday, the Panthers beat the Falcons 23-16, handing the Falcons their fifth straight loss of the season behind 313 yards from Teddy Bridgewater, who also had two touchdowns. The Falcons fired head coach Dan Quinn that same day. The Jets continued their run to 0-16 last week as they lost to the Cardinals 30-10. Joe Flacco played in place of the injured Sam Darnold and did not fare much better than Darnold in previous weeks, only mustering 195 yards and a touchdown. Kyler Murray continued his solid second season campaign, throwing for 380 yards and a touchdown. The Colts lost to the Browns 23-32 thanks to two interceptions by Phillip Rivers. The Browns continue to roll winning their fourth game of the season. The Rams went to Washington and beat the football team 30-10. Alex Smith returned to the field this game after Kyle Allen was hurt in the first half. Smith didn't fare any better than Allen as they both only had nine completions on the game. Jared Goff had 309 yards and two touchdowns with one interception. The Baltimore Ravens won against the Cincinnati Bengals 27-3. Lamar Jackson used his arm more than his legs this week, throwing for 180 yards and two touchdowns while having one interception. Jackson only rushed twice for three yards. Joe Burrow had a rough afternoon as he was sacked seven times and threw only 180 yards and an interception. The Houston Texans got their first win of the post-Bill O'Brien era against the Jacksonville Jaguars, winning 30-14. Deshaun Watson had a solid game, throwing 359 yards, three touchdowns, and two interceptions. Gardner Minshew had his third 300-plus yard game of the season and another loss for the Jags. The Miami Dolphins, yes, the Miami Dolphins, dominated the San Francisco 49ers 43-17. Ryan Fitzpatrick showed... Fitz Magic again throwing for 350 yards and three touchdowns on an efficient 22 of 28. San Francisco started Jimmy Garoppolo coming off of injury, but he was benched after going 7 of 17 for 77 yards. That's some alliteration and two interceptions. The Dallas Cowboys won against the New York Giants despite losing starting quarterback Dak Prescott in the third quarter to a broken ankle. Andy Dalton was 9 of 11 in relief of Prescott and led the game-winning drive. Daniel Jones did not have any interceptions, but he did have his eighth turnover of the year.
With all the news being thrown around, you need the proper defense. Time for the Cover 3. The Top 3 Stories of the Week. Number 3. Dan Quinn has been officially fired after going 0-5 to start the 2020 season. His tenure with the Falcons ends in his sixth season. Quinn only had two winning seasons while being the head coach and had losing streaks of at least five games in each of his other four seasons. Dan Quinn had an interesting career as a head coach. Coming off of an 8-8 first season, he led the team to a Super Bowl, but the 28-3 collapse in Super Bowl 51 always hung over his head. The following season, the team regrouped and made the playoffs again, but fell to the eventual champion, Philadelphia Eagles. From there, the team had back-to-back 79 seasons that had long losing streaks, but each ended with a win streak. It's a weird occurrence because they weren't necessarily bad. They just consistently underperformed. I think inconsistency and lack of defensive production proved to be the ultimate downfall for Quinn. In each of his first five seasons, the team was top 10 in offense while being below 20th in defense most seasons. Add to this the multiple losing streaks during his bad seasons, and time was up for this coach. Quinn is the second coach to be fired midseason in 2020. The real question is if there will be any more, as both New York teams have yet to win a game this year. Number 2 Alex Smith returned to the NFL on Sunday afternoon for the first time since suffering a compound fracture in his leg in week 11 of 2018. After having surgery on his leg, Smith caught an infection and at points there was a fear that his leg would need to be amputated. After 17 surgeries, Alex was clear of infection and began rehab and eventually made his way back to the Washington football team. He had been a healthy scratch for the first four games of the season, but with Dwayne Haskins being benched, Washington decided to make Smith the backup behind Kyle Allen. Allen's injury in the later stages of the first half meant that Alex Smith's return was coming a lot sooner than expected. It was a nice thing to see, especially as his family was shown in the stands. Smith's return was somewhat spoiled by the Rams' defense, who put the strength of that leg to the test as Alex Smith was sacked six times after entering the game. The strength and health of Alex Smith will be something that continues to be monitored as he continues playing this season. But as Aaron Donald was shown on the sideline saying, Smith's leg does look to be pretty strong. Number one. As Alex Smith returned from injury last week, Dak Prescott went down with a similar injury in the Cowboys' win against the Giants on Sunday. The injury came on what seemed to be a routine running play by Prescott, but the play did not end well. The most striking image to me was when he held up his leg and motioned the team doctors over to him very calmly. He seemed strangely at ease about what was clearly a very serious injury. Dak was immediately taken to a high school in Dallas where he had a successful surgery on the compound fracture and is expected to miss four to six months as he recovers. As a testament to the kind of player and leader Dak is, the Cowboys players, both offensive and defensive, all seemed impacted by the injury and several stood by the cart and hugged and high-fived him before the cart could leave the field. Not only that, but Jason Garrett, who is now the offensive coordinator of the opposing Giants, came over in concern for his former quarterback. A major act of class on his part, but also a statement of the impact that Dak had on him when he spent time as his coach. The biggest issue besides the actual injury coming out of this situation 
is the current state of Dak's contract negotiations with the Cowboys, as he is playing under the franchise tag this year. After much back and forth negotiation between the two sides since the end of last season, this injury will likely have major implications on the money that Dak is able to command moving forward. What's more, there are several questions. Will Dak be forced to take less money? Will the Cowboys decide to draft a new quarterback if the team falls into the top 10 of next year's draft? Could Andy Dalton play well enough to where the team feels like he's the better and cheaper option with all their other offensive weapons? Both Steven and Jerry Jones seem confident that they will retain Dak, but as time progresses and he is no longer under contract, we will see just how loyal they really are. Up, down, or the same, teams are always changing in the power rankings. The mighty have fallen and a new ruler has risen as the Chiefs fall out of the number one spot for the first time this week and are replaced by the Seattle Seahawks. The Packers move up to number two and the Chiefs drop to number three. The Ravens, Steelers, and Bills hold Pat at four, five, and six. The Saints move up one spot to number seven and the Titans stay at number eight. The Rams move up to number nine and making their first appearance in the top ten this week are the Cleveland Browns. Need help with your fantasy squad? Look no further than the all-purpose fantasy outlook. This week's fantasy outlook is dominated by quarterbacks. Our start of the week is Matthew Stafford coming off a bye week and facing a Jaguars defense that has given up 300-plus yards and two touchdowns to opposing quarterbacks multiple times this season. Our sit of the week is Baker Mayfield going against a Steelers defense who has forced two turnovers in three of their first four games, not to mention leading the league in sacks. It will be a rough day for Baker. Finally, our sleeper of the week is Ryan Fitzmagic, who welcomes the Jets defense into Miami, a defense ranked last in passing yards allowed this season and 28th in passing touchdowns allowed. Ryan Fitzpatrick will probably have a field day that's it for this week's episode i'm your host ap you can find me on social media on instagram twitter and facebook at ap nfl pod also you can get the all-purpose nfl podcast on anchor.fm slash ap nfl pod or spotify apple music or wherever you get your podcast thank you for listening have a good one